Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as Party Girls Don't Get Hurt. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Kate Iceland. Island. Island. <laughs> That's a great start. It's an amazing start. Right. Everyone does that though, so it's okay. Kate, when you're in social settings, how do yes. you introduce yourself? I introduce myself as a writer. Yes. And what does that mean for you? Um, that means that if I'm, if I'm in a social setting and I'm introducing myself to people, I generally think that the, that the way they may know me mm-hmm. is from things I've written or that what we're talking about may be something I've written mm-hmm. generally in the future of the conversation. So I would say writer, yes. Is writing how you make your cash? Yes. I mean, some cash, mm-hmm. my play money. Nice, the best kind. <laughs> the best kind of money. So, yeah, I mean, writing is a professional endeavour for me and hopefully more of a professional endeavour in the future. Mm. Um, so especially if I'm trying to, like, net- network with people professionally, mm-hmm. I always say writer. Nice. Yeah. Be, be <laughs> the thing that you want them to think you are. No, yeah, not that you're not yeah. already. No, 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 no. But that's the thing. When I, um, when I first decided that I wanted to write, yes. I didn't really have any publishing mm. experience other than things I had written on my own blog. So when I would meet people, I'd say, oh, yeah, I'm a writer, and they'd just kind of believe that I must have this incredible backlog of things that had been published, um, and then they would publish me because I said that I was a writer, <laughs> and they generally wouldn't Google it. Mm. Um, and then when I, you know, when I had, like, my very, very first thing I published on, like, Daily Life, I think it was, mm. I'd say, oh, I'm a writer, I've written for Daily Life, and people would be like, wow, really? Well, well you've got to come and write something for me. Um, but I, you know, I, I wouldn't say that it was only one thing mm. and that it was in like the reader's comment section at first. Yeah. I wrote um, a letter. <laughs> but no, so I, I do believe there's so much in that. Mm. Say what you want to be. You have to believe it and then other people will. So I just started saying that I was a writer and then that's how I became a writer. Nice. <laughs> have you found that people's, uh, the way that they address you or their perception of you has changed in that I'm Kate the writer? really I mean maybe the only time it would change is because they they might have recognized my name from something I'd written mm. or my hair from a photo <laughs> next to something I've written that's that's generally how people recognize me so maybe in that regard but I I don't necessarily think that um over time people's opinions of of writing have changed mm-hmm. although sometimes if I if I introduce myself and say that you know I've written for the Guardian or for Daily Life, yes. people roll their eyes because that's obviously yeah. the, the the evil lefty media that's... It's not a real paper. <laughs> it's not a real paper. It's not a real paper. You don't write real things. No one had to print that and deliver it on a truck. Actually, I have written something that was printed. I was so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my 2016 goals was to have my work in print. Yes. I've never seen something I've written on physical paper before. Yes. Um, and it was printed. The Guardian. It was printed in the, a column I've written for oh, The great. Guardian about not being able to cook mm-hmm. was printed in the physical, tangible world. But I never got a copy of it. Oh. I know. That's awesome, though. Congratulations. Thank you. There is... We're still in that transition period, aren't we, where, you know, writing online is, yeah. is absolutely legitimate. Yes. Uh, but some corners of the market feel that it's only real when it's... A, printed on 
news sheet. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something exciting about having something printed on news sheet. Mm-hmm. Like when I was growing up, I used to always, I was obsessed with magazines and yes. I would always buy magazines. I would buy like eight magazines a month. It was terrible. Um, it's quite a habit. It's a, it's a big habit, but I would always buy magazines and I would always, you know, look at the masthead and look at the names mm-hmm. on the masthead um, and think, you know, hopefully one day my name will be up there too. But it was always people like Mia Friedman and Nadal mm-hmm. Stalio who I think now maybe I don't share opinions with anymore. Maybe they're not, not so aspirational for me. Um, but when I was like 13 and I was seeing those names on the masthead, I used to always follow them from magazine to mm-hmm. magazine. Or like um, Clem Bastow. Mm-hmm. She used to always write for the street press. Yes. And when I was walking home from school, I would pick up the street press and I would see one lady's name with all of these male reviewers. And I'd be like, wow, Clem Bastow. One day, you know, I want to be just like Clem Bastow. Mm. <laughs> and here you are. And here I am. So I don't know, maybe there's like a 13-year-old girl out there. Probably 13 is too young to read some things that I write about. But maybe an 18-year-old <laughs> legally what? aged child. <laughs> why, do you, why do you think that 13 is too young for some of the things you write? I don't necessarily think it's too young, but... Well, no, maybe 13 is the perfect age. You know, I I tend to write a little bit about things that some people consider a a bit controversial, like sex and drugs Mm. and things like that. Um, But no, maybe if there's a 13-year-old child out there reading what I write, I think that would be a good thing. I think it would be maybe a good influence. I think I'm very honest. Mm -hmm. I think honesty is always an important quality. Whether or not I would want a child to follow in my exact footsteps, I don't know. But I think I've learned a lot of lessons <laughs> that are useful to impart. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> there's, there's always, I think there's always stuff for us to learn from each other Yeah. Um, around those kinds of things. And, and I think and I'd love, love to get your opinion on this. Mm. More nowadays than ever before, mm. people have been either empowered or provided the opportunity mm. to what in the olden days would have been considered inappropriate or oversharing. Like sharing some of yeah. those experiences that you speak of, and I think in allowing that, that's not not necessarily normalised it, but yeah. it's it's given freedom for other people to go. Hey, you know what? I'm not as crazy, weird, silly, bad as I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing I found when I was when I was writing the the Thirty Dates of Tinder series mm. was that I. I didn't sense myself at all. So I was talking about things like threesomes and one night stands and, you know, taking ice and doing things that most other people I think don't necessarily want to put their name to in public. Mm -hmm. Um, And one thing I found was that as much as there were people who kind of went, oh, that's inappropriate, you shouldn't say that, there was even more people who read it and then went on to say, oh, you know, I had an experience just like this Mm -hmm. or something similar happened to me and, you know, this this is what it was like when I did XYZ drug Mm -hmm. or when I had XYZ sexual experience. And I think whenever you can have an experience that's relatable, it makes you feel less alone. And yep. I think, like, if there's any one goal that writing has in the world, it would be to make people feel less alone. I mean, you always want to feel connected when you read something. Yeah. So In, in a particularly disconnected environment. Yeah, yeah. In, in topics that often make us feel isolated. Sexuality makes mm. us feel really isolated. Drugs makes, makes us feel really isolated. You can't even say you know, in the press, that people are taking drugs. You have to say partying. Mm. And a big Um, hello to the police that are listening right now. Yes, hello, every... I'm sure there are a lot of police tuning in to (laughs) to listen to this. They're going to cut it up so I'm in court. It would double my my listenership if if any of the um, the police forces were to tune in and listen. I hope they do. 
they should. Not to mine, to maybe, someone else. Maybe they learn something. <laughs> Have you copped uh, much, any grief over sharing what you have. I mean, there's those kinds of opportunities to hear from people who, hey, yeah. well, thanks, Kate, that's helped me because X. Yeah. The flip side is that people tend to be pretty brutal as well. They they are pretty brutal. I think... I don't think I've gotten a lot of it, or at least not in a way that's ever prevented me from writing. Like, no one mm. has ever received a pitch from me and come back and said, oh, no, you, you know... You're that girl who writes about sex and drugs. We can't have you published in our magazine. Um, but I think sometimes it is it is really interesting that people will. I mean, when I wrote it, when I wrote in Tinder about taking ice, mm. that was a big one because you can write about smoking a joint, mm. you can write about taking a pill, but you can't really write about taking ice. Ice is really stigmatized, mm. and like I'm not a regular ice user by any means. Um, but I did write about it and I thought it was important that I wrote about it. And for the next few months after that, I saw not necessarily tweets addressed to me, mm. but tweets about regarding you. me that were like, oh, that junkie, mm. you know, that the Amy Winehouse girl with pink hair. And it's like those responses are the reasons why I think it's important to talk about it. Mm. Um, that someone can just be dismissed as a junkie, which I think is a ridiculous, very, very offensive term. Um I think are reasons why we have to talk about it. So I'm I'm still glad I did it. I would never mm. regret anything I put out there into the into the general universe. But yes, sometimes there are just little reactions of someone saying, "Oh, she just writes about sex. It doesn't matter." Well, you still know that I write about it. You've obviously read it. Sex matters. <laughs> sex matters. Sex is important. And I think it would be more brutal if someone said, "Kate Islin, who's that?" Mm. That's not what I want. Yeah. <laughs> At least they know who I am. Yes, true. That would be very, <laughs> yeah. But that, well, that's how you, in a in a world that is filled quite often with um, self promotion and narcissism, mm. to have someone acknowledge your existence and then yeah. question it at the same time. Yeah. Wow. And I'm the most self promoting and narcissistic of anyone I know. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't paid attention, um, <laughs> Kate. What for you is a source of strength? Ooh, that's so interesting. Um, a source of strength. I think I I try to be my own source of strength as mm. much as I can. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to do. Um, I think I'm generally a person who has a pretty good idea of what I'm about, what I want, yeah. what I put up with and what I don't. Mm. So... I, th- I think once you kind of sort those things out for yourself, you don't necessarily have to put as much conscious effort into forcing yourself to be strong. It kind yes. of comes naturally. But I think maybe... I think one thing that is always a source of strength for me is friends who are not involved in the media in mm-hmm. any way, <laughs> mm-hmm. who have no idea if I've written something for mm. anyone. I think that's the most amazing thing. Yeah. Um, and I guess kind of grounding as well. I think a lot of social circles are very, very focused on what you've written and, you know, who's, re- who's retweeted you and what someone said about you. Whereas I kind of love going out to dinner with friends and they're like, oh, what's, what's comment is free? What's Twitter? I've never heard of that. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's amazing. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> would, would you prefer to have that experience where you didn't know about any of those things or were you, are you just happy to keep them separate? Oh, no, no. I'm very, very happy that I know 
about those things. But a very, very wise friend of mine once said that you should never believe your own PR. Mm. So you should never believe things that people say about you. Mm. Um, and I think you always need an influence in your life that has no idea about your PR. Has just had no idea who you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's certainly very grounding. Have you, have you found love, Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've definitely found love. I think one thing that as I've gotten older, I've, I think more important than finding love is defining love mm-hmm. um, in any incarnation, whether it comes from within yourself or from friendships or family or from romantic partners mm-hmm. or just a general sense of kind of love out there in the universe. So I think I've definitely f- found love. I think I've, I mean, I've fallen in love in the traditional relationship sense, absolutely. Mm. But I think I've also, as I've gotten older, I've been able to create more love for myself. I think Mm. I, I I think I probably operate with more of a sense of love towards myself now than I did maybe like, well, definitely 10 years ago, maybe five years ago as well. So I think that's important. Love is a big concept. Very big. In, yes, very big. Do you separate emotions from love or are they a permanently connected thing? I think it's a permanently connected thing. I think love reflects itself through your emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if we're talking about love for someone else, I think love for someone else shows through in your emotions all the time. Mm-hmm. It's when all of your best emotions are directed towards someone and you can't even, like, prevent it or change it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think love and emotion are permanently interwoven. Is love a choice? Yeah, I think so. I think love is a choice. I think, yes, I think you have to choose to love people mm. um, because love as well is wanting the best for them and doing what you can to make the best happen for them and showing them the best parts of you and the most honest parts of you. And I think those things are always a choice. So whether it's family or or a friend or a romantic partner or yourself, love is always a choice. Sometimes it's a hard choice. Sometimes you really have to push yourself. Love isn't easy. Um, Love is sometimes a task. Yes. As much as it is a choice. Um, But it's an important one, especially towards yourself. (laughs) Yes. When... When people have those love at first sight moments, mm. is that really love or is that lust? I have never fallen in love at first sight. I've fallen in lust at first sight many times. Mm. Um, but I can't speak for someone else. I, I would like to think that someone is out there having a love at first sight moment. I think that's mm. wonderful. Like, how amazing. But I think for me, I am more susceptible to lust at <laughs> first sight. <laughs> Something I've experienced many times in my life. Mm. <laughs> but that's also still a good thing. Yeah. Lust is amazing. Lust, yeah. is, lust is a great thing. Um, so lust at first sight, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I'm all over lust at first sight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, in a crisis mm. or an argument, yes. are you fight or flight? It depends on what the argument or the crisis is. Mm. When you say fight, I always think of physically throwing punches. Um, I'm very strange. I've never been in a situation where I've had to defend myself. Mm -hmm. Um, If someone challenges me, I'm very much a walk away kind Mm -hmm. of person. Um, But if it comes to people I care about, 
I will literally walk away with like bloody knuckles. Yeah. Um, whether it's verbal or physical or whatever, I will definitely like defend to the death people I love. I yeah. think I'm very loyal like that. Um, the only bar fights I've ever been in have been <laughs> defending other people. I've been in two bar fights <laughs> and both of them have been because somebody I really care about or someone who I was concerned about mm. was in trouble and I felt like I had to step in. Um, but in a crisis, I think I'm quite level-headed. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about, you know, times when I've had to give, like, first aid to people, that's kind of a crisis. Yeah. Or help someone who was urgently in need. Yes, I am quite level-headed. I'm very level-headed, and then once I step away from the situation, once I step away from the situation, I'll walk away and be like, oh, my God, what just happened? Mm. But in the moment, I think I'm quite reliable. I yes. hope I am. I don't think I've ever like let myself down or let anyone else down. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm. I think I'm a fight person. <laughs> I'm, I'm flabbergasted at the the only two times I've been in a bar fight. <laughs> yeah, I've been in two bar fights. So the first one was when I was I was probably about twenty three. Um, and I was at a, a, a gay club called The Greyhound, mm. which may be familiar to some people listening. And I was there with, a, with my best friend at the time. And I don't know how it started. I think someone spilled a drink on someone's shirt. And, you sure, know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. midnight. Everyone's drunk and angry. And this guy who was, like, a big, like, muscular beast yes. picked up my friend, who was very small and very short, and literally shook him like a rag doll. What? And I... I was terrified. Like, I saw that and literally something in my mind clicked. And I remember, like, pushing my way between them, like, you get off my friend, you know, I will beat you. And this guy picked me up mm-hmm. and did the same thing to me and then put me down expecting that I would kind of run away, but I didn't. Mm. I held my ground in my little paler shoes stilettos and I was like, bring it on, I will crush you. <laughs> um... That's great. But I, I did not step away from between him and mm. between my friend. Um, and then the second time was actually only recently. I was in a, and it wasn't even really a fight, I suppose, but it was in a bar in Redfern. Mm. And there was these two guys causing trouble at the bar. Yes. And the girl behind the bar, she she looked a little bit uncomfortable. It was like a Sunday, so there wasn't security guards there or anything. Yeah. These guys were way too drunk. Um, and the girl said, you know, you guys have to leave. We're going to call the police. And they were, like, throwing around their beers and mm. getting pretty antsy. And I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to put up with this. So I kind of grabbed them by the elbow and I hustled them out of the bar. I was like, you guys got to go. Like, you're causing trouble. I just want to have a martini. Like, <laughs> it's ah. Sunday. Leave me alone. And then as one of the guys was leaving, he kind of turned around and raised his fist to me. And according to my friend who I was drinking with, I just gave them a look like, are you kidding me? <laughs> um... And then I pushed them out the door. Yes. But those were the only two bar fights I've ever been in, and it was always stepping in because I thought someone else needed a hand. Still two more than me. (laughs) What's the most exciting or dangerous thing you've ever done? Um, Maybe the most dangerous thing I've ever done. I think I've done a few dangerous things. One that comes to mind was I was climbing Mount Fuji in Japan Mm. I was climbing by myself and I got lost and I got lost and it was about 4am in the morning because you have to climb through the night so you can see the sunset okay 
There was, when I was little, and this is actually a really interesting backstory. When I was little, um, there was this ad on the Discovery Channel, and it was about, I think it was like an ad for a documentary about Japan. Mm. And one of the things in the ad was that if you see the sunset from the top of Mount, the sunrise from the top of Mount mm. Fuji, you will begin a new life. Okay. And at the time, this was maybe 2008, 2009, I was really depressed. So I was like, I'm going to go to Japan. I want to see the sunrise from the top of Mount Fuji and I want to start my new life. Sure. So I've gone to Japan and I, lo and behold, I'm climbing Mount Fuji and it's, you know, four in the morning. Um, I'm racing to the top to see the sunrise and I just, I got lost. Um, which is not really a big deal if you're on the street or yeah. if you're in your neighborhood, but Mount Fuji is not a dangerous mountain, but people can still fall if you go off the trail or people can still freeze to death. It was, it wasn't snowy, but it was cold enough that you wouldn't want to sit down in the one spot for hours and hours and wait to be rescued. So, and there's also bears. Oh, good. There's little, I think, sun bears, I want to say. Fact check that, ABC fact checker. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of dangers up there. And I got lost and I wandered around for about half an hour, 45 minutes, <laughs> trying to find my way back to the trail. And I was just thinking, oh, my God, like, I'm alone. I, you know, my phone doesn't work in this country. I don't have flares. I don't have anything, you know, no one will find me until the morning. Yeah. So in trying to find this new life, I almost lost my own life. Um, but I did get back onto the trail. Yeah. Probably the only other really dangerous thing I can think of was... Um, when I went to North Korea, you have to fly into the country on the North Korean airline, which is Air Corio. Mm. And the plane I flew in on was an old Russian Tupolev. Great. So they don't manufacture parts anymore. No. So if it breaks, you're fucked. Um, and that airline, it can't fly in the EU, it can't fly in Australia, American That's Airlines, because, not because it's North Korean, but because it doesn't meet the safety standards. Yeah. So I got on that plane and I was really, really naive and we were about an hour and a half into a three-hour flight and so someone sitting next to me, one of the other tour members, leaned over and told me all of this, that, you know, that there's no parts made and that the plane isn't really that safe to fly. And I was like, okay, Here we thank are. you so much. Don't tell me anything else. I don't want to know any other plane facts that you have. Gosh. And it was like the most white-knuckle flight I'd ever experienced. Mm. So that was maybe one of the most dangerous things I've done. If I had known that before getting on the plane... <laughs> Never <laughs> Not happened. sure if I would have done it. No, thanks, see you, Korea. Yeah, it's been fun. yeah. I took the train out. Yeah, I didn't fly again. <laughs> I hear that. That seems like a smart move. I think so. I think so. But I still get to say that I did it. And I, I'm sure somewhere at home I have my Air Corio boarding pass in a scrapbook. <laughs> was uh, was the train out into South Korea or Mongolia or where did it go? Uh, definitely not to South Korea. That would be a historic train journey you can't go between north and south korea because of the dmz and the they just don't allow people through it's not happening thing they've had i think one train journey Mm. but basically when the north closed its borders there was even families that were separated because someone had you know gone to visit the cousins two hours away and they ended up on the other side of the border so a train did come back from north korea to south korea carrying um relatives of families who were in south korea but it was i think it was 60 years after, oh gosh, 60, 70 years, and you'll really have to fact check this one. So yeah. Someone out there is going to write you an angry email like, this is wrong, what she said is wrong. Um, like 70 years after the borders closed, they yeah. did bring back some people, but 
yeah, it's definitely not a train journey that happens all the time. So, no, my train went to China. Of course, they're the other one. Yeah, yeah, which was a really cool journey. It was really nice. It was amazing. Like, the the stuff you see, like, the countryside is so beautiful, and then you see factories and farms and little villages and all kinds of amazing things. So it was wonderful. Yeah. Did you get to see your Mount Fuji sunrise? I did. I did. Did you start your new life? I think so. I mean, yeah. I th- well, at the time, I had brown hair and I wore, like, a black polyester pantsuit and I was a receptionist in the city. So yeah. I definitely don't think that my life is anything like that anymore. So I probably did. Mm. I think that it was, um, yes, it was definitely, I think, the beginning of a new life. Has, <laughs> has that new life cost you anything? Um, nothing that I wouldn't have wanted to give away, nothing mm. that was important. Um, I think that... I'm a big believer in changes and reinvention and, mm-hmm. you know, always a bit like Madonna. She's always reinventing yep. herself. I really like that characteristic. Um, so I'm a big believer in reinvention. I'm a big believer in chasing your dreams. And I think that, yes, you will always have people who don't understand that. Yes. Or you will always lose opportunities and things that you had. But if it's really meant to be, you won't lose it. Mm. I'm also a big believer in fate and destiny. And I think that... Anything you're meant to have, you will have. Yeah. Anything that is meant to come to you will come to you. And anything that, you know, isn't yours or doesn't become yours just wasn't meant to be. Wow. <laughs> it's the universe's plans. It, it's, it's, it's part of it. Yeah. Something is Absolutely. <laughs> Do you ink? Do I ink? Mm. Tattoos? Yes, ma'am. Yes, I have four tattoos. Can I ask what they are? Yes. So I have a cupcake on my foot. I have a little orange skull on my ribs, which I got. That was my first tattoo, and I got it in memory of the designer Alexander McQueen, mm-hmm. who was and probably still is one of my most favourite people in the world. Um, and then I have a quote on my on the other side of the ribs, mm-hmm. which is Sylvia Plath's epitaph. Mm-hmm. And on my arm, I have four, eight, sorry, eight words. It's not twice this day, inch time foot gem. Would you like to know what that Please, means? Yes. <laughs> so it's an old Zen cone of, um, and I guess again, like going back to new lives and things like that. Yeah. An old Zen cone of this man, I think in the Edo period of Japan, who was a government official. He was, so all day he sat inside this office and he received visitors and signed declarations mm. and, you know, a very, very important person, but he was also very miserable. Mm. Um, he decided that that life wasn't for him. He didn't enjoy it anymore, but he didn't know what to do. So he went to the local Zen teacher. Yes. And he said, you know, I'm so unhappy. What do I need to do? Like leave my wife or move across the country or quit my job? Like what should I do? What's your advice? And she said, you don't have to do any of that. I'll write down the secret to happiness, Mm. just eight characters. She wrote, not twice this day, inch time foot jam, Mm. um, which is the literal meaning of the characters. But Translated and rephrased, it means this day won't come twice. An inch of time is worth a foot of gems. So it just kind of means to me, um, always appreciate the time you have Mm. and what you're doing, even if you're not necessarily making money out of it or, Mm. (laughs) you know, benefiting from it in some tangible way. Um, It's still time that you have and it's still really important and you should try to appreciate it as much as you can. 
So I got it tattooed on my right forearm Mm -hmm. before I started university because I went from working in an office and making heaps and heaps of money to being a student and studying fashion design and not making a lot of money. Um, And I'm right-handed, so whenever I was working, whenever I was sewing or sketching or doing patterns, I would always see my tattoo and always be reminded Mm. to appreciate what I was doing. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Is, Is this something that you will continue to do? Yeah, absolutely. I um I really want to get on my other foot another cupcake, mm-hmm. but a cupcake with a big bite taken out of it. Ooh. So it's like you have one full cupcake, one eaten cupcake. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a thing. Um, and, yeah, I generally think I, – I always think about tattoos. I haven't gotten one for ages because it's expensive and time-consuming. Um, yeah. But I always think, like, I'd love to get people I admire, like mm-hmm. Anna Nicole Smith or Divine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they would be um, people I would want tattooed on me. Maybe like Elvira. I yes. really like Elvira. So I think maybe some somewhere in my future there's just like plans for a sleeve of just camp icons. Nice. Amazing. <laughs> what What is it about Anna Nicole Smith that, that has your attention captured? Oh, she's so amazing. She's just like this. I love people who are over the top. Yes. And I love people who are a bit wacky. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess a little bit tragic. I, th- I, I think there's, and I'm, I'm sure that you know, a psychologist would have a field day <laughs> trying to figure this out. But I think people who are who have that element of like tragic comedy about them yeah. are very fascinating. And Anna Nicole, I think, I genuinely think that she is a sweetheart. She is the loveliest person mm-hmm. in the world. Um, you know, she was just such an innocent like. Homegrown girl mm-hmm. working in a strip club. She met her husband, fell in love, and she became a guest model. She became a, you know, mm. she became a millionaire. She was in Playboy, and then she died. It's so sad. Mm. But I think she she was so charismatic and she was so smart, and I think she really had an ability with people. Um, and she was just so kooky. Yeah, she's just insanely kooky. I love that. Yeah. I when I was little, I used to watch the Anna Nicole show. <laughs> I used to think, oh, I want to be like her one day. <laughs> oh, my goodness, the Anna Nicole show. It was the oh. best show. It was the best show. I, I will politely disagree with you. I'm glad that you liked oh, it. It means everything to me. <laughs> Gosh. One day I will have a show like that. I will have the Kate Islin show and it will just be mm. me with giant hair running around like drunk and, you know screaming for my assistant or whatever. And it will be the best show ever. It will be amazing. I can actually picture it. Yes, and you will watch that show. Uh, look, and I probably will. Yes. See, there you go. What it'll you... be the Anna Nicole of feminism. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> wow. There is too much going on in that sentence. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What are you going to achieve uh, in the next 12 months? So much. I was thinking the other day, at the start of every year, I try to write a list of goals. Mm -hmm. Um, And last year, well, this year, at the start of 2015, I wrote a list of goals and Mm. I managed to achieve them all. So in 2016, I, at the start of 2015, when I wrote my goals, I was like, well, some of this has to be really hard Mm. and some of it has to be very difficult and maybe I won't achieve it, but Mm. I did achieve it. So I think I underestimated myself and in 2016, I need to plan bigger. So I think in 2016, I want to run the half marathon. Mm. 
I want to I want to go on holiday again. Mm-hmm. I haven't really been on holiday in a while. Which actually might be the hardest goal of all to achieve. Mm. Um, I know I want to get, I know I want to do something new and exciting with my work. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe yeah. I'll try to get a book signed. Maybe that can be my goal. Yes. Um, I think I just need to think of two more goals. But I don't know what they are yet. Bold, hairy, audacious ones or some? Oh, the bolder and hairier and audacious, uh, <laughs> the better. Uh, yes, and I, <laughs> the only reason I ask is that it, it quite often in, in a list that, that seems to me as intimidating as that is, mm. that it can sometimes be helpful to have, I won't say more achievable, but yeah. ones that aren't as out there, as yeah. difficult as, as you're kind of leaning on. Yeah. Um, no, I like big goals. I I think as I was saying, last year I thought I set big goals. I mm. thought I set things that I couldn't achieve, and I did. And even towards the end of the year, like one of the things I really, really wanted to do this year was be published in The Lifted Brow. Mm-hmm. Because, again, Lifted Brow, like when I was younger, that was the first literary magazine I had ever heard of and it seemed like the place where all of the great intellectuals would be mm-hmm. published. And, you know, I, I still think very highly of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to myself, I really want to be published in The Lifted Brow, but I, I, I never really got the opportunity to pitch them and it was getting towards December and I thought, well, maybe that's that's the one goal I don't achieve. That's yeah. okay. And then they commissioned me. Oh, nice. They emailed me and I thought, you know what, this is the universe mm-hmm. making sure but I achieve all my goals. So I think Nicole looking after you. Yeah. She's watching over me from above. She's up there having a G and T with divine and (laughs) all of those people I love. And she's saying, you know, we're going to make sure that Katie Sloan gets what she wants. (laughs) There's no holding that back. (laughs) How do you, how do you fight that? There's no stopping it. You can't stop the will of Anna Nicole. I'll say yes to that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Kate, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Sharing what you have today. Please know that you're highly valued and the things that you've shared today are very important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a lot of fun. I can't believe I finally get to be a humans of Twitter person. Look, it's a very exclusive club. I know. I know. So cool. What more could I say? Me and Osher Gunsberg. I know. And Dan Nolan. Like this now. Yeah. Buddies down at the pub. Very clearly you're on Twitter, Kate. Yes. <laughs> um, are there any other social accounts that you want to admit to? Um, I have an Instagram. Mm-hmm. I guess if people are listening and they want to follow that, they can. I post a lot of food. Yes. It's not, it's not very fascinating. I don't really use Facebook anymore because I got so used to speaking in 140 characters that yep. I, I found I couldn't communicate via long-form medium anymore. Yeah. Um, what other social media accounts do I have? You don't have to fess up to all of them, only the ones that you want. Yeah, and I don't want anyone following my Fat Life profile, so we'll leave it at that. Gosh. <laughs> right. On that note. Yeah, well, this has, <laughs> this has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that Kate Islin is indeed human. <laughs> <laughs>